0: Well, it's good to gather today on Sunday and worship the Lord. And uh, today was the day I realized, I thought, well, if there's not going to be many people here, maybe we should just meet outside. It's so beautiful. But then I realized it is Washington. We don't know. We just don't know. Um, You know this about me. I love to camp. I love to camp. In fact, my nickname back home is Campin Cody. And it's easy for me to fall in love with the state of Washington. If I love to camp, I just step outside and just look around. We've got mountains, ocean, the sound, river, the hood canal. I mean, just how could I not fall in love with this state? But in order for me to have the best experience and overall trip, there's one very important thing. I must be prepared. Because if I'm a camping guy, I can't just like throw the kids in the vehicle. That would be an interesting scene. Throw them in the vehicle, just grab a bunch of gear and just go camping. It could be a terrible experience. It could be horrible. It could could just be all messed up. So I need to prepare. It's more than just having the right equipment, like rope, right? Rope is very important. Rope, tent, food. It's more than even being physically and mentally prepared. You have to know the particulars of the area you're going. And there's more things you need to know that are just on a simple map. You could just pull out a map and say, I'm camping here, and we go, and you could be in a world of hurt. You have to be prepared. The one thing that I have learned most about Washington is its weather, or I should say it's the changes in the weather. And because the storms collide with mountains, we have the sound, it's just a very unique area, the weather's very unique. I got to learn about Washington State, especially coming from Wisconsin, where if you see a the clouds coming, you know the storm will come. There's the big storm. and just You can kind of figure out the weather system. To do this accurately for me as a camper, I need to learn the basics of climate and weather. And which in the Pacific Northwest, to learn the basics of weather, do you know what I really have to study? To go camping, I need to know the weather. To know the weather, I need to know geology. In fact, I just got this book, to add to my library, I've got a great library, and I've had different books to my library. My wife and kids love it. I have more books. It's called the Northwest Marine Weather. Listen to this line it says in here. Understanding the geology of this region, Washington, it is essential to understand its weather patterns. And to understand its weather patterns, it's essential to planning a safe, enjoyable voyages on its water. So in order for me to be truly an enjoyable camper out there, I need to figure out its weather. I need to figure out its patterns. And to do that, I need to figure out the mountain systems, the ranges, and all that it is. I'm learning that the good Lord created this region using water, ice, and sometimes volcanic active action and fire. And that's what affects the weather in this area. Especially for my upcoming trip. There's a lot of work just in camping. And I know that. I used to be a guide up in the Rocky Mountains. You have to study, prepare, plan. And it all boils down to this. And it's a very simple adage that maybe you guys have learned if you live in Washington. To camp around here, you bring a blue tarp. (laughs) Plain and simple, right? (laughs) I could do all the studying I know, get everything ready. I bring a rope, but now I'm learning not just a rope, but i got to bring a blue tarp because you never know what's going to happen. That's the way it is. I like to study. I like to camp. They come together to be prepared. I love the Bible. I am a freak about the Bible. It's the Word of God. And it's easy to fall in love with the narrative stories of the Bible. And today we're looking again at one of the great stories of the Bible. One that little kids are taught in Sunday school, and as you get older, you kind of go, oh yeah, yeah, I know that story. I love the stories of the Bible. Why? Because it speaks greatly of partly the human condition that we have, that we need, we're desperate, we have issues, but it speaks greatly of the God who has come to save us and rescue us in our situations. That's why I love stories. I love movies. You go to my house, I got piles of movies because I love movies. They, they elaborate and they, they tell things. I'm like, oh, I understand that. I get that. And the Bible is far greater than any other movie I own because it tells these great stories of man's plight and their situation. But we serve a God who's not just up there and kind of just got the world spinning, and kind of just got it going and there, and steps back, and his hands are crossed and going, "Well, I hope it all turns out he's actively involved in our lives, And I love that about the stories in the Bible. We see that in order to have a better understanding and overall knowledge of the Bible, one must be prepared, just like camping it 's more than just having the right equipment, a Bible, quiet room. And around here, coffee in your hand when you're studying the Bible. You've got to have that. It's more than just that. Those are very important things. It's more than being just spiritually, mentally prepared. I'm going to read the Bible. Here I go. It is good to have to know the particular areas of the Bible that you're going to. Just like reading a science fiction book. If you go there thinking it's a treaties on the affairs of the world, and you read a science fiction book, your brain's going to go, wow, this doesn't fit. Well, maybe some science fiction does fit the way politics work today. I don't know. But the Bible is full of different genres. So what do you do when you just grab the Bible and read? Some people think just grabbing a Bible, and that's all we need to do, is just grab the Bible and have it in hand and just read it, and that's good enough for me. Honestly, This may sound strange coming from a pastor, but just grabbing the Bible and reading it does no good unless, foremost, the Spirit of God is with you. If you don't believe me, there's this guy, his name is Hitler. He read the Bible. I can tell you what, he did not have the Spirit of God. He had different spirits than we worship. And there's a couple good books out there, When a Nation Forgets God by Erwin Lutzer. He has another book. This is the pastor at Moody Bible Church in Chicago. He's got one called Hitler's Cross. Just grabbing a Bible and saying, oh, I'm going to do it, does no good. Because people have used the Word of God in many wrong ways. In fact, one of my favorite movies that's out recently, about a year ago, it's a story about this guy that has the only Bible left. And one man wants it to rule his city and other cities because he knows people are weak and he knows that if he uses this book, it's powerful. But the other man knows it shouldn't be used for those ways. So first and foremost, when you grab the Bible, we need the Spirit of God. He will guide us. He will lead us in that Secondly, there are many factors to consider when you read the Bible. It's, it's, it's so foreign to us in many ways. Some of these stories have, have examples and things that we don't comprehend because we're Americans. We live in this century, and this was written centuries ago. There's, 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 like I mentioned last week, there's this river, there's this vast canyon between us and the biblical stories, and it's hard to comprehend some of that stuff. And sometimes you need tools, helps, guides, so you can immerse yourself and see what that was about. So I want to encourage you to do what I have. Well, you don't have to have this many. Look at this stack here. I encourage you to get a study Bible. Yeah, you, you need to have a Bible, but it's great to have study Bibles. In fact, these are, i got four of my favorite study bibles that's kind of a little overwhelming so if you want to write these down go ahead and do that i encourage you to get a study bible let me pull up the one that i had when i was in school this is the niv study bible it's the life application study bible and i encourage you to get one of these because sometimes you read things maybe in deuteronomy it's one of my favorite books jesus quoted from deuteronomy more than any other book of the bible Sometimes he'll say things and, and you hear it in your world because we're over here, but there's this huge, vast difference of what was happening really in Deuteronomy that, that, that we may not understand. And the scholars that helped put some of the notes in the bottom here help you think through, help you understand, just like I would as a camper coming from Wisconsin, why is it raining right now? Wow, there's some. Okay, everything changes in Washington. I need to read and study and learn about this area. We also need to read and study and learn about the Old Testament. And that's going to be my goal this next year as we walk through the Old Testament looking at the way of the cross. So the NIV Life Application Study Bible. What a great study Bible to have. Another one that's a great study Bible, in fact, it's the first parallel study Bible to ever come out. This is the NLT, the New Living Translation, that my father-in-law was part of the New Testament, It's a great translation, and it's one of the best study Bibles out there today. It's got two study Bibles in one. One is biblical study data. What does this word mean to the Hebrews? What did this kind of um, ritual mean to them? Why did they do the Feast of the Tabernacles? Why was all that? When you read this, they'll help you understand that. Then this section has life application. How does that apply to your life today? The life application part... Is very important. You've got to have that study part. And what did some of you write in your front of your Bible last week? What does this tell me about God? It helps you think about some of those questions. What does this tell me about God? That's the study part and then the application part. This one is called the NLT Parallel Study Bible. Another one that's just a great, when I used to get this for some of my students, it's called to discover God's Study Bible. If you know someone that really doesn't understand God, maybe that's you. Because I don't understand God. He is so unknown to me at times. What a great study Bible to have. This is a grand Bible to have. And the last one is the ESV Study Bible. Honestly, this and the NLT1, this is probably the one of the best scholastic study Bibles to have. I encourage you, church, please listen to me. Do not be the kind of person that comes to church for one hour, you sometimes I do preach an hour, one hour you just get a little crouton in your mouth and go the rest of the week, you will die spiritually. You cannot do that. You need to study. And this, I've yeah, Grant did the study notes in James on this one. I've got some friends that did some other some of my professors and stuff. This is a great study Bible. If you want to be up there, student of the Word, grab this thing. Man, you'll just, you'll be busy your whole time. Study the Bible. Just as I'm learning to study about the weather in Washington to help my journey, we need to learn and study about the things so we can understand the deeper meanings and understandings of the Bible. That's why it's good to have a study Bible just as I'm learning that the Lord is the creator of this area, He used water, He used mountains and ice and volcanic flames and fire at time. the Lord, listen to this, the Lord in the Bible uses stories to help shape me and you. And when we go through these stories, I'm excited to go through some of these great stories of the Bible, when we go through these stories, He's going to use these stories to shape you to number one, know Him. It's one of the main purposes of Scripture, to know God. And out of that knowing God, we would trust Him, right? Remember last week I said this, do you trust God? Question mark. It depends on how well you know Him. So we come to know God through this word. Just as a camper, I study so I can have a great time when I'm camping. On your journey in this life, study deeply this Word so you can understand God's purpose in your life. You come to know the Savior of who He is and the greatness of what He has for you. So let me pray before we dig into the story today. Father God, we thank You for the life that You give us in Your Son. And I pray that today You would just move in our hearts in a mighty way and show us who You are through Your Word that is so simple that even a child can understand. So Spirit, I pray that You do Your work. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 22, and if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. If you want one of these, i got one up here. One up here has got a Bible. Here you go. Raise your hand up. John's got a Bible. He'll just put your hand up. So Genesis 22. And again, what I want to do, I'm just going to walk through this story with you. And let me just tell you the message of the story. It's very simple. Trust God. That's the first point. Trust God. Number two, obey Him. Obey Him. And number three, He will provide. He will provide. Last week, we kind of caught a glimpse of what it looks like to trust and obey. Trust and obey. So let me just begin with the beginning here. The first part, and we're going to work our way through this. Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and I love this again, instead of God, this great being that he is, he just doesn't come and just dictate his authoritative command, he waits for man to respond. Please listen, church, he waits for you to respond every day. Some of you may say, well, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, I've made my response, that's enough for me. Oh, every day he's waiting for you to respond to him. Abraham's response, here I am. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the region of Moria. So God has already provided this promise. You'll be a father of many. You'll have a great nation. You'll have land. You'll have all this stuff. God is a God of promises. And He's made those provisions already starting to happen. He has a son. We rejoice in that. And then He says this. God says, take your son. Your only son. Here it is. I'm fulfilling my promise to you. Take your son and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountains i will tell you about wow what do you hold dearly to you is that more dear than god himself i tell you what if it is the lord may come and test you to awaken you up to realize that sometimes the things we hold on dearly to are just a fabrication of falsehood that are truly not something we should trust in, and God provides himself as the mighty one we don't see what Abraham thinks you can well I can guarantee if God said, Give up your whole family i 'm going to kill them all tomorrow I'd be thinking I'd be wrestling, I'd be saying, "God what about what about oh. we don 't get this hear what Abraham thinks. But we see what he does, and that's the thrust of this story. Again, there's times where when things come up, turmoils come up, we see what they think. Read through Psalms. You'll hear it all the time. David's like, ah! But always at the end, Lord, I will trust you. You are my rock. You are my Savior. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, imagine again, cutting enough wood, saying, this is how much wood it's going to take to burn my son. Wow. He set out for the place God told him about. Again, listen. Trust and obey. God requires that of us. To trust and obey and obey. And if some of you don't know how to trust God, read this book. This will help you trust him. Trust and obey. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Can you imagine his heart? He sees the place where it's going to happen. He said to his ser- servants, "Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy over there and here's where we ended he says this to them we will worship and then we will come back to you well that doesn't make sense how can we worship up there and we come back and this is such the great part of the story in many ways abraham trusted that he would go up there with his son and somehow in a miraculous way because god can do that he will come back with his boy he doesn't say we will go up there and i'm coming back alone because he's going to die he trusts and obey because he has faith in god he knows that god will provide do you walk like that let's finish this story abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son. I mean, that, that, that's what's so great about some of these stories, and we're, we're going to get into these stories in Scripture, especially when we finish up Genesis and go into Exodus. I love how the stories, Moses wrote these out, God divinely put the right words there for specific reasons. In this story, we don't hear what he's thinking. But it's written in such a way that it's just, it just makes your mind just go, Wow! Imagine a father taking what's going to burn his son and placing it on his son. All these little details are very important to be a part of the story. He takes the wood and places it on his son. And he himself carries the fire and the knife. Then we go on. As the two of them went on together, he- this is just great. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, to, to his father Abraham, Father, now he's, a, he's a teenage boy in this time. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. It's almost like he's saying, here am I. I love how Abraham is always just like, yes, here am I. Yes, my son. Listen to this Question. You know how children can be so innocent at times? You notice how so I put at times? Because how many of you have kids? You understand how they're not innocent at times. Sometimes they can be cunning and so witty to try to get something out of you just because they know that you love them. And because your love is great, they think that they rule the house. That's not the case. Well, sadly, today in our culture, many families let the kids rule the house. The parents should rule the house. My kids know I'm the king. I'm really the servant king because God's the king, but I'm the king of the house, mom's the queen, period. We will listen to you, we will we'll accept some of the things you have, but they have ways to think that, oh, I'm, I'm the queen of the house. But listen to this, at how innocent and naive they can be. Think of your children, how innocent sometimes they can be and naive they can be. Listen to this. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father? Yes, my son. He replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? How could you not choke up hearing those words? How, because we know the story. Abraham knows what has to happen. How could you not just go, Oh, son. What am I to say? And maybe some of you parents have had big questions that your children ask you. Maybe there have been family members that have passed away in your family and your children when they were young said, where did they go? Why did they have to die? Why did they have to suffer? Some of these are big questions. Here's a big one laid before Abraham. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? There's such simplicity in the question. In verse 8, Abraham answered, I don't know, son. We're just going to have to go with the flow. Oh, well, we're, just gonna, we're really not doing this. We're just going to camp out and enjoy the stars. Because I'm going to have many stars. Do you trust God? It depends on how well you know Him. Abraham... For about 25 years, have walked has walked with God. Saying, "God, I don't. I'm I'm 99 years old. My wife is 90. How can we have a boy? This is not going to happen. What happens if we have a girl? What happens if we end up like the Cargus family? Girl, 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 girl." I... <laughs> he trusts God because he knew him. Look at these words. If you underline in your Bible, if you highlight, if you make arrows, do it here. Verse 8, Abraham answered him, God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide the lamb. In faith, Abraham assures his son that God will provide. He believes that God will do what He promised to do. He believes God will provide. Does he do that today? He does. But here is one of the biggest problems we have in America. Let me just say it out. We have little faith because we have great security in our skills and abilities and who we are. Because we provide. Hey, I'm a guy. I'm supposed to provide for my family. When I have many men knocking on my door for my little ladies, when the time comes, most fathers think, will you provide for my daughter? Will you provide for them? Because I'm a guy, I provide. We trust, I usually don't carry this with me when I'm up here, we trust in this way too much. If my car breaks down, I'm quick to pull this credit card out and use that before I would take four hours on my knees saying, God, I trust You. Help me understand that You are a provider. We lack in that area. So I encourage you, church, trust the Lord. He will provide in many, many ways. Just last year, before we moved here, there were two specific times we were hurting for money. We're always hurting for money. We were hurting for money and we needed $200. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to tell anyone. God, please, I just... $200. I go to work and here's an envelope for me and in there, $200 in cash. I'm just like, what? The week after that, I spoke someplace. And the rule kind of was like, if I speak under the um, the name of the camp I was working at. If I speak for them or something, whatever I get paid, they give that money to me, but I don't see it. I just give it to camp and it goes into the general account, whatever, you know, to pay for whatever. I spoke someplace and they gave me the check. And usually I don't see the checks I don't money, don't you know, I don't care about money. And they gave me the check and I happened to see it and it was $750. And I was like, oh, that's a lot of money. And I was like It was in my name too. And I was like, oh, I could use this. Just think of all the, the food I could buy for my family. Oh, I could buy that new gun I wanted. You know, all these things I'm starting to really think. But I was oh, I can't do that. And I was like, oh. I went home, gave the check to my boss, signed the back so he could cash it. And my heart was like, oh. And that day I found out we were hurting for money. We were like... Hurting for money. And I was like, God, you, you just gave me money. Why would I oh I should have just cashed it myself. They would have never known. Little did I know that when I was gone for those couple days, a group came to camp. That I used to do a lot of helping them out and speaking for them. And they gave me a gift. It was twenty dollars more than the seven fifty. Just for me. My faith sometimes is so small because I trust in myself thinking I can do it. Trust in God. He will provide. Look at verse 8 again. God Himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. He's even specific. He's going to provide a lamb. He's going to provide a way out. He's going to provide something special for you. He will provide a lamb. Oh, And son you will be that lamb is in his mind. Wow! Listen to this. This is a commentary. His name is John Calvin. Huge brain. I mean, he probably had a head that stuck out like this because his brain was so big. Big frontal lobes. One of the great thinkers of the church. This is what he wrote about this. I'll have to transliterate some of these words because they're old. This example right here in this passage is purposed for our imitation. Our imitation. Whenever the Lord gives a command, listen to these words, whenever the Lord says, do this, many things are perpetually occurring to deprive our purpose. Means fail. We are destitute of counsel. All avenues seem closed. In such straits, only the remedy against depression is to leave the event to God in order that He may open a way for us where there is no other way. Let me read that again. In such straits, the only remedy against oppression is to leave the event to God in order that He may open a way for us where there is no other. We, listen to this, we act unjustly towards God when we hope for nothing from Him, but in ourselves, in our senses, we can perceive the way to do it. We treat God unjustly that way. But we pay him the highest honor when, in the affairs of perplexity, we nevertheless entirely acquiesce in his providence. God will provide. Learn to trust him. Verse 9. Verse 9, I love how it's written. Certain movies, to me, I enjoy. I I like the action kind of movies, especially when there's a lot of guns and explosions. That's just what I like. I don't know why it is. Probably because everyone in my family is military, and I didn't go to military. I'm the minister, which is, I think, a greater strand to take a step of faith in. But if I would have been in the military, I would have been just using all those guns and stuff. And I, I love all the action. So my wife, God bless her soul, watches many with me. She has to suffer. I suffer through some of her Jane Austen movies and those kind of. Oh, That's suffering. Shows my love for her, but she thinks the same when she sees the movies I have, and she always does this during my movies. Whenever the action builds up, explosions and guns, and the cars flipping over, and the guys are jumping out, beep, 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 and all this stuff, and she's, she does this. She's like, "Oh, tell me when it's over." Why do they have to put in all that detail, Cody? I'm like, it's for me. And then when we watch her movies, I'm like, oh, please. Why did they put all this detail in? she goes, oh, it's for me. <laughs> if this story was made into a movie, it, it wouldn't do it justice. But this is the part where my wife would be like, oh, close my eyes. Too much detail. Just get to the point. That, this verse does that. When they reach the place... God told him about. Abraham built an altar there. He arranged the... Come on, just get to the point. Get to the point. But listen, this narrative, this story is written in a way to make your heart go, oh, it's coming. Here it is. He built an altar there. He arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac. Oh! We will see in the New Testament that this is talked about looking at the faith of Abraham. But also there's the faith of Isaac, the little boy that would say, I trust you, Father. I'm trusting your word. He bound his son, laid him on the altar. My wife would be going, quick, quick, get to the point. But all this is slowing us down to realize the gravity of the situation laid him on top of the wood. Then verse 10, take a look at this. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. If it was me, this is what I would be doing. I'd be like, "Okay, God, we're here." I'd be looking for some kind of way out. Maybe God would show up in a manifestation, we'd be like, "Okay, I obeyed you. Thank you." Or we get there, we build the altar. I'd be listening, "Where's the lamb?" Bah. Okay, there it is. I'd be scurrying around. Okay, you're supposed to. Where is it? Where is it? I'd get the wood ready. Okay, I'd bind my son. Okay, where? I'd place him here. Okay, then I would wait and say, God, provide the miracle. But that's not trusting and obeying. That's trusting and waiting. Saying, okay, Lord, come on, come on, come on. Listen. When God says, do something, we obey, obey. Here's one of the problems we have sometimes in my household. I say, do this, and it takes an hour to do that. Is that obedience? (laughs) No. Delaying to do that is not obedience. Obedience is, yes, Dad, right away why not because you're the big king and dad you're so mean because my dad loves me he cares for me he plays with me we do he dad you say something yes i will do it because i love you god is even greater than any dad that we can imagine on this earth he loves you and when he says do something we say yes lord we do it and that's what abraham is doing he grabs the knife <laughs> I I can't imagine holding that. Where's the lamb? When it did not become clear that there was no lamb, that's when Isaac says, okay, I'm a part of this drama also. Here is faith in action. Not waiting, but obedience and faith to God's words. Let's finish this. He reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Praise God for verse 11. But, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Oh, I can imagine, his knife's up, and he hears the words Abraham, and he's like, oh, whoo! Abraham! Abraham! Twice! Partially because I think it was twice is because of this. Because when you're in the heat of the storm, when you're struggling, how many of you struggle with, with pain, suffering, sickness, just lack of direction? You're like, oh, it's hard to hear the voice of God sometimes because your soul caught up in the storm of just chaos. Wake up, Cody! Wake up! Yes! He alerts him. Abraham, Abraham. <laughs> I love it. Here it is. Here am I, he says. I love those simple words. Here am I, replied. Do not lay a hand on that boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Why is this story here? Remember verse 1? Last week I said, sometimes you read a story you don't know what it's about. But some stories you do. The first part says, sometime later, God tested Abraham what's this testing all about well we have the answer right here now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son your only son church we are going to be a church that trusts the Lord we're going to walk in faith and honor him what does that mean means we'll glorify him in the end but to get there it may be hard it may be a struggle it may be tiring and weary for you but trust the lord he will provide and verse 13 abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns it's not that the ram, the ram has been there, you know, it's not like it's been stuck there the whole time and he was oblivious to it. God provided. God provided. That question I asked you to write in your Bibles what does this tell us about God? This story tells us a major thing we need to have as a foundation of your life. God provides for his people, period. God provides for you, he is a provider, he provides for us he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. In this story, how could you not think? And here is the big push I want to give you right now. How could you not think of another father and another son? What Abraham did not have to do God did. God provided His only Son instead of us. Because in my selfishness, in my sin, in my angst against God, in my depravity, because we all have sin, that is separated from God. And because of that, there must be a payment, a death. Because of sin, there's death. I deserve death. But in His great love, the eternal Son of God, He took on flesh. That blows my brain. That God became the Lamb for me. He took my place. What Abraham did not have to do, God did for me in His Son. And His Son took my spot and died so I might have life. Because here's the deal. You will pay for your sins. Everyone will pay for their sins. And there's two ways to do it. Either you pay for it by spending eternal separation from Him in hell or you pay for it through Jesus. The cross. Who am I? It's not about me. It's about Him. How could you not think of the most famous verse in the Bible? What's the most famous verse that every kid learns right away? John 3.16 Listen to this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, trusting in Him, believing, giving your heart, whoever believes in Him, shall not perish, shall not die, but have everlasting life. That's the Gospel message. I have life because of Him. Thank You, Lord, that He is the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John the Baptist said. Or in Revelation 4 and 5, it talks about the Lamb of God whose blood cleansed us. God provides. He is the great provider. He passed the test, God honors it, and gives him a way out, a substitute. Abraham was spared, and when we think of God's great love, you were spared. When you trust God, you are spared, because you will have to pay for your sins. Either you pay with eternal separation, or you pay through Christ and his work on the cross. Let me just say this, how could you not worship him forever? How could you not just say, glory to God, thank you, that I have life in you and no other way? But too many times you just kind of tuck your hands and go, okay, church is done, let's go home. And you trust in your wallet, you trust in your ways. God provides. He is a provider. The parallel to Christ is beautiful, especially in John 3.16. Turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I'll give you some time again. Hebrews is found right between a couple books. All the uh, the way I did it as a kid, all the T's—Titus, Thessalonians, Timothy—those are all before Hebrews, and then popular names like John and Peter are after Hebrews. So if you kind of find that way, the T's are before Hebrews, and the popular names are after. Turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter eleven. Hebrews eleven, verse seventeen. Hebrews 11:17 says this By faith Abraham when God tested him offered Isaac as a sacrifice he who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son even though God said to him it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned you will have nations out of your offspring But God says, sacrifice, give it up. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. He trusted. God gave him a blessing, and in that blessing, he trusted God. What do you hold dear to you? Is it your health and life? I'm young, younger I should say, than many of you. And I have that. I have that zeal where I'm, oh, I want to get out there and do things and climb mountains. Every time I see a different mountain range, I'm going up there soon. All right, girls, get older so we can go. What do you hold dear? Is that more dear than God? Is it your family? Is it your job? How many of you have lost a job in the last 20 years? Raise your hand or move jobs, or switch jobs. Do you trust God that he will provide? Listen to this. God is a God, number one, who makes promises. Number two, who provides. Never forget that. and Never forget that. And this week, some of you, something will snap. A storm will hit. You'll get a phone call that will wake you. Finances will be gone. Something will happen. And you'll be alerted. You'll be, What? The first response should be, God provides. God provides. And maybe your next response will be, Here am I, Lord. What do you want? Here am I. I trust you. I trust you. So I end by saying this Trust the Lord. He is worthy of it. If you don't know Him, get to know Him in His Word. Walk with Him. Learn from Him. That's what our church is about. We're going to be pushing you on to know the God of the Word. Because storms are coming. And if your trust is in Him, your eye will not be on the thickness of the fog, but on the God who controls every circumstance of your life. Some of you will be hung over a great deep valley. Trust that He will tie the rope. Let Him tie the rope. He can do it. He can sustain you and He will sustain those, listen to this, those who trust Him. Those who don't trust Him, look out. The whole Old Testament is full of stories of people who do not trust the Lord and the result of that. So I end with this. Trust the Lord. You have to. Your life depends on it. Literally. Spiritually. In every way. Let me pray.